This is episode number 90 of the Beer Marketers Podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. Bringing the latest and greatest in internet marketing every Monday at thebeardofmarketers.com slash podcast and everywhere else. You can find podcasts, any directories, whatever it is. We bring you the latest and greatest, but we do it while we're drinking. Oh, yeah. We get in the mood better that way. You know, we bring you the hot fire every week when we do Opens that. Opens up our creative mind. Exactly. I'm doing a Moscow Mule like pretty much always. I'm boring <laughs> like that. What are you doing over there? I'm doing some Colonel E.H. Taylor bourbon. Whoa, 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 whoa. With a little bit of ice, which is a change for me. Usually I drink bourbon or scotch neat. But a wise man, which is sitting across from me, told me that I should try it with ice, so I am. It's quite tasty. Very smooth for how strong of a bourbon it is, but would recommend. Makes a great Presbyterian or an old-fashioned. That's enough on the delicious alcoholic beverages that we're drinking. We've got a ton of topics. We We have a lot of topics. This is the season of giving, and as such, we are going to give you some great topics for this episode So let's run down it. One we want to digest, we hear them a lot, Amazon, behemoth in the industry. What are some lessons that we can take away that they executed this holiday season and maybe evil villain rubbing our fingers together? What can we steal for next year or maybe another promotional period coming up in 2015? Twitter ads getting smarter. Do you have some new options that maybe you have not explored? Which if you are new to us, we are big fans of Twitter. Great opportunities there. Very untapped resource for many people. So we're going to get the deets on that. Blogging is dead, potentially, but we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Holidays saw an increase in the uses of GSP. Rob is going to get his professora hat on and tell us what actually is GSP and why we need to care. What are some of the new PPC predictions for the new year. And it would not be an episode if we didn't check in with Google. What are some changes happening with our favorite search engine that you need to be aware of? Chocked full of information this week. So let's go ahead and get started. Amazon throughout Black Friday, what did they do that maybe we can steal for the next year? (laughs) So there were a couple of things worth mentioning, and this is sourcing an e-consultancy post, uh, which we'll tweet out. If you're not following us on Twitter, you should certainly do, and we tweet out all the links that we talk about on the show. But a couple of things I wanted to talk about. One, they had this really neat little feature where they actually had a countdown timer, not for the expiration of a given sale, but actually a countdown timer to reveal the deal. What I thought interesting about that as a user coming onto the site, it made me for some reason spend more time on the actual site itself. You know, these timers to not just expiration, but to reveal the deal, depending on the proximity of that reveal time, you know, made you want to spend some more time on the site. And I'm wondering how profitable that was for them. I'm spending more time because I want to see what the new deals are. Did I potentially add a thing or two? I mean, Amazon sells everything. So did I add that $80,000 120-inch TV to my cart while I was waiting for this new sale to come out? That is a, a different twist than I've seen for a lot of companies. Usually when we see countdown timers, it's, you know, hurry, only four hours left for the sale, but they took it a different route. And here's some time before we actually reveal the new sales. So maybe you want to stick around. Another thing that I wanted to mention, I feel that Amazon was a pioneer in this space and driving urgency with stock levels. And I want to say they were one of the first sites where I saw how many were left in stock to not only be present on the page, but if there were limited items left in stock, they would actually drive attention to it. Hey, 
You might be wanting to deliberate on this decision a little bit, but we only got about two left, so you better act fast, add that into your cart, and give us your monies mm-hmm. before it runs out. What they did with that aspect of their site is when they ran these deals, they also had limited stock, so they would push a very particular element on the sale boxes, percent claimed. And that, again, drives more urgency into these sales, more than likely driving up conversions. What was also interesting about some of the things that Amazon did in Black Friday's didn't just play around with their homepage or product pages, which we're pretty used to testing occurring nowadays. They also played around with some of their cart elements. Not only did they bring urgency to these product pages or these lightning deal areas showing percent claimed, things of that nature, but they would carry on that urgency throughout the checkout process. And so if you added one of these sale items to your cart, you know, they would remind you that messaging, you only have this amount of time to check out to get these deals and this pricing. Further pushing home that urgency throughout the visitor could be really useful for a lot of retailers out there. If you're running these promotions that are maybe lightning deals or have some sort of expiration, taking some cues here, I think they could really work in your benefit. And the last thing that I wanted to mention, because many companies miss out on this opportunity, is not only do they have time limits in their checkout on product pages, but they also had a very slick integration with join a wait list, but also the propensity that there might be a second availability of these products coming around. I think a lot of sites, you know, solely hyper-focus on promotions. They don't think about people that maybe missed out, have old links. Be aware that links get shared. People post on these coupon sites, forums, things of that nature. So for these people that might be coming into these things late, how do you recover those people? And I think that they had a very slick integration into maybe you were too late, but here are some things that you might want to check out or join up on our list. Get us in that marketing funnel because we might be releasing this product again. So anyways, too much to go into. We're going to tweet out the link from e-consultancy. Definitely worthwhile. I don't think everything that Amazon does is perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but they do execute some very interesting things that I believe a lot of companies could repurpose or test for their own benefit and see if it's going to work well for you. But Rob, Twitter land. Let's go there. I think we played music for some other land last email land. This week it's Twitter <laughs> land. Bling, bling. <laughs> there's some new changes on their ad platform. What is it that we actually need to care about? Well, there's always something changing on ad platforms all the time. That's why we bring you this podcast to keep up with the latest changes. But as you said earlier on, I'm a huge fan of Twitter, especially Twitter ads. I don't use it much myself personally, but I found, especially with a few markets with people who use it often inside those markets, think sports, movies, TV shows, especially hell, internet marketers. If you're trying to go after those guys, we're all over it, right? Oh yeah. There are so many opportunities to target people. And I think, as again, as you hinted at, not enough people are using it. In the beginning, Twitter ads was pretty simple and straightforward, but lately, man, the remarketing is really blowing up really well. And not only am I a fan of Twitter ads, I'm also a huge fan of remarketing. So when you combine those two together, my head explodes. Some of the recent changes are the ability to combine tailored audiences, which is what Twitter ads refer to Mm -hmm. remarketing lists as. Last I heard, they were working on the feature to be able to remove an audience. So let's say I'm trying to target people who have been to my site, but not people who have purchased. Right. They're working on that feature. I'm not sure if it's quite available yet, but this latest one we're going to talk about here is the ability, if you have a mobile app out there, to add tailor audiences based on actions people are taking inside your mobile Ooh, apps. Oh yeah, now we're talking. And combine those with other actions that you've done from, you know, let's say we've done a tailored list for 
our email list for website actions. We can combine all of these things and come up with crazy little mm-hmm. tailored audiences for people who have downloaded our app or are on our email list and have purchased from us in the past. Nice. If you want to get that specific, I guess you can now <laughs> with Twitter ads. So I just wanted to bring that up briefly. There's not much more to say about it beyond that. Well, I think that opens up quite a bit of possibilities. There's many different routes that you could take with that data. I mean, knowing who are your very engaged customers and maybe prompting them on Twitter to share more about your product, increase your user base. There's also the ability, if you know that someone's engaged or using the product, if you come out with a new feature or product to upsell them on something that's a new version or would complement other products that they have. I mean, there are a lot of different opportunities there. So I think even though you sort of downplay it, that's it. I think for a lot of companies, there's some different little avenues, trickies that you can go and make some more bottom line dollar. This is actually something I left off of this week's podcast. Maybe we can cover it next week. But the integrations that are happening now between mobile websites and mobile apps and Mm -hmm. links that jump over and things like that, stuff is blowing up. And I was just going to talk about some of the stats from this last shopping season and how much it has changed in favor of people shopping online on their mobile phones. Anyway, so again, that's about all I have on the Twitter ads thing we can jump on to what else is going on. Blog and be dead. What's up? did want to talk a little bit about, we've mentioned quite a few times on the podcast, different routes that you can take with blogging, how that can be beneficial for your company. There was a very fascinating blog post on ProBlogger. If you're not subscribed to them, definitely would if you're in the content space, if you have a blog, and really they just have some great in-depth articles. So even if you're not in those just keeping aware of some of the information they have, I think would be beneficial to you as a marketer. But in particular, this article, they wanted to explore is blogging dead, how blogs are changing and how you can really stay on the top is the title. Again, we'll tweet out the link to succinctly summarize what this article is talking about is understanding that the tides are changing. This is the internet. It's a new week, new things reinvent ourselves every three months. And blogging is not immune to that. What they talked about here is taking a hard look at the value of blogging and what it presents to you as an individual, but also as a company. It has come to that point now where we really need to assess, is that the best use of time for some of the people out there. And I think they brought up some good points that particularly with this new emerging generation, blogging is not a thing for them. You know, social media is much more how they communicate, how they digest information. Younger crowds are not going to sit around and just read blog posts. And that seems to be something that is aging as a population on people that find that valuable. And I would argue that that's probably true. I think a, a lot of that is driven by the amount of garbage blogs out there as well. There's There became this point where everyone had a blog and almost became unfashionable. It's like, well, everyone has a blog and they're all terrible and they're not really meaningful. A lot of times they're just regurgitating other stories and just talking about them, but don't even really make any sense. So I would say that blogging still serves a purpose for those people putting out the high quality content, but do understand that the demographics are changing and these people are now going to social networks, Instagrams. We are much more an instant gratification type of culture, at least here in the US, where blogs might not fulfill the role that you thought in an engaged audience. However, there are still some benefits in the way of curating your community, fostering them along, maybe getting a deeper appreciation of your product, explaining your product, 
feature tours, SEO, there are still a lot of benefits out there. But we have seen, and I think there's some published stats by Comscore and some other points out there, that amount of active blogs on the net is steadily actually declining nowadays. And maybe that's just a natural life cycle. We're starting to clean up the crap. And so we have this huge burst of everyone needs a blog. I need a blog. My mom needs a blog to talk about her crocheting, you know, projects or whatever it might be. So maybe this is just the natural maturity of that channel, uh, but it is something that you really need to consider. I think you're going to say something. I was cut you off. Yeah. I mean, I was just going to say that I think some of what this blog article is trying to say bad about blogs, I think some of it comes down to semantics, things like, I mean, what would we say a blog is nowadays? And if we were to describe a blog as the way that I think he's trying to use to describe mm-hmm. a blog is like a web log of like a, almost a diary type thing. Sure. Were those ever really popular? I don't recall. I think for certain like among, segments. Among like people, like the way he's saying is like, you know, blogging is down X percent among teenagers. Did teenagers ever really have blogs in that sense? Well, I wonder what he considers that. Like certainly MySpace probably right. might have fallen into that. And there were a couple other sort of social platforms that have maybe bridged those gaps about journaling. Uh, yeah, I think what's happened is just Tumblr the, might the, even fall into that. Is the evolution. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to say things like, okay, MySpace could be categorized as a blog, then why doesn't Facebook count, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Facebook usage maybe is down. But I don't know that the blogs in the, in the sense that he's talking about were, were maybe all that popular. I think they were hugely popular with nerds like us who are marketing. But even in those respects, I don't think they acted like what people would normally consider a blog. They're basically just article websites that just so happened to be using a blogging platform instead of the classic sort of blog. I don't know. I mean, interesting piece. I think it's Sorry, another thing I wanted to talk about was, too, that the fact that he's noticing that people are subscribing less and less to blog-type things. I think there are so many reasons for that. One being, I don't like getting email newsletters to my, you know, I I would rather maybe subscribe via Facebook or follow your Twitter feed or whatever. So I can kind of, like, pick through that. Right. Well, well also, maybe uh, the general overall quality of blogs has just gone down. I mean, he talks about his specific network. You know, I don't want to knock him directly, but maybe that is the case, right? I mean, I think we've all seen this. I mean, we see this with the podcast every week us trying to go out there and find like real content that isn't just BS blog spam mm-hmm. crap that is just being churned out by everybody. Right. It's very hard to find real good stuff, which thinking back on the blogs I did follow years mm-hmm. ago, there actually was good, interesting content sure. being posted by people. Absolutely. So, A couple other points that he makes that I think are worth noting is guest blogging isn't as valuable as it once was. Guest blogging and the sort of reciprocal relationships that a lot of blogs and content creators had out there were very beneficial to companies churning up SEO, driving visitors, and with how search engines now are treating that ecosystem, that's not as viable as it once was. You have to do, you have to go through many more hoops. um, And it's just at the end of the day, not as valuable as it once was. And part of that, again, might be related to quality of the content of these people coming on, which is maybe why those search engines took the actions that they did. But again, you don't have that great SEO benefit that you once did. Two other things that wanted to mention about People interact on social media, not necessarily on your sites. I found this true time and time again. That's definitely been an evolution. I feel that, and this again might go back to your 
point about quality, but I do remember a little bit more robust conversations happening on blog posts back in the day where people were commenting, things like that. Well, now that sort of interaction goes off the blog. That's Mm -hmm. on Twitter. That's on all these other social media sites where people are talking about these articles, but no longer is it actually living on your website. So the benefit of people reading your blogs and going continuing to go back to your site and check on these comments and interact with people, that's also getting diminished. But lastly, for people that rely on actual revenues coming in from your blogs, I've read on multiple sources that is becoming less and less viable. And so a lot of blogs have moved into either private realms or having their own coaching or members only area because making money solely off blogs is not as easy as it once was with FTC rules and just the competition out there. So a lot of blogs have had to evolve to creating actual product or diversifying themselves as a business to make enough income to float themselves, which is also sort of mixed up the industry. Very interesting blog posts. As Rob pointed out, there's some things you need to consider and take into account on who's writing it and maybe the pain that he is feeling as his own business maybe hasn't necessarily evolved, but definitely some good points for you to take a step back as a company or as a person. Does it really make sense that I invest the time to curate this anymore or are my efforts better spent in other places? Particularly, you know, you really need to consider the SEO benefits at the end of the day are not what they once were. And that's really sort of hampered the viability or at least for me, the priority that I'm going to put on curating and keeping up a blog and things like that. Yeah. One, one, final note I wanted to add on that is that I think that for the most part every day I would say maybe half of the sites I visit are blogs. I think that my traffic to a blog hasn't decreased. Any question I asked in Google, inevitably the top response is going to be a blog of some sort. Mm -hmm. Someone like you or I or anyone else in any sort of industry just wrote up a how-to or an explanation article of whatever it is. So, I mean, I guess at that point you could argue, okay, what's a blog versus an article site or, you know, what are the differences there? But I still think that they're hugely powerful things, especially in that respect. Mm -hmm. Speaking of moving into the next one, I Googled this topic and found this blog article (laughs) from Overdrive Interactive. This one basically basically just goes over some of the basics of what GSP is, which I will now mention is AdWords Gmail sponsored promotions. <gasps> Those people crowding up my inbox. Right. So for those who have maybe old Google Gmail accounts, maybe haven't seen these very often. I personally was talking to someone about seeing ads in my Google account or my Gmail account. I said, I don't ever see ads anymore. They didn't believe me. I showed them I don't have ads in my account. But I did notice over this holiday season, I am noticing tons of these Gmail sponsored promotions, which take the form of ads in a way, but have introduced this new element, which is that in your promotions tab, if you have it set up in that tabbed layout, you'll see at the top of the list of your inbox, what sort of looks like an email, it's highlighted in a different way. Those are called Gmail sponsored promotions. If you click on them, they even act like an email. They open up an email interface. There are several key differences here, though. Number one, obviously, I can pay to basically show up directly in your inbox, and I don't need to know what your email address is. Number two, you can advertise them inside Gmail in a couple of other different ways. You can actually show them in the normal advertising positions, and they'll pull up your sponsored promotion as an email type thing. Mm -hmm. But the major benefit that I'm seeing, and I'm testing this with a partner right now, which, by the way, this is beta, and to get into use this, you have to go through a some sort of certified AdWords partner or somebody that has a connection over there. 
or if you're a large enough dog inside AdWords, Please. reach out to your client Please manager. Yeah, reach out to your client manager and see what can be done to maybe get you into this beta. Some crazy stuff going on. Some of the major benefits here you can do anything inside the sponsor promotion emails that you can do inside HTML that you normally can't do in an email, right? Mm -hmm. um, you can embed signup forms, whole signup forms. Wow. You can embed videos if you want to do that kind of stuff. I mean, you can do anything you can do basically on a website inside these sponsor promotions, make them nice and fly and responsive so they look great on phones, things like that. Targeting methods, though, offer some really unique opportunities here, too. So not only can I do standard things like age, gender, la language, location, you know, typical AdWords stuff, interest categories, keywords of the emails people are getting, but also domains of people people are getting emails from. Huh. So let's take an example here. I was just going to use an example. I was going to give away what I work in. So maybe I won't. Let's take an example. I want to target people who are getting emails from my competitors. I mean, that's a great, easy example of a way to get out in front of sure. people who are or if you know that there's synergy between certain products, categories, or yeah. domains that complement one another. You know, it's very likely that maybe I run a company that sells add-on services. Let's take, for example, like service like Big Commerce, who does e-commerce platforms. Maybe I'm a shop that does consulting work for them or has some add-on features or things like that you could pay for. I can also target them because I know that my products directly complement those user groups. And if they're getting emails from them, then maybe that they're potential eyes that I want to get in front of. Yeah. And there's some other unique things too. And uh, I'm not sure exactly if these are possible. I'm going okay. into um, tinfoil hat dreamland, hopefully, okay. because I'm about to get into this program and run some ads. So I'll find out if this stuff works. But if the ability to target keywords inside people's emails, you know, <gasps> sort of works. I mean, what's to say I can't target people who get an email from Amazon that says about your Amazon purchase or whatever the standard language is for the receipt. So now I know that you've purchased something from a competitor mm -hmm. or maybe even maybe what you've purchased using a keyword combination that gets out a receipt email. I know that you've bought this in the past from right. this person mm -hmm. and now I can target you directly with a very direct email that maybe knocks them or gives you a coupon for customers from them or something sure. like that. Really unique way to go after customers that is not possible really anywhere else. Mm -hmm. It's totally unique. So currently, again, this is in beta. You're going to have to use some connections to get into the program. But Which if you have a Gmail all. account and if you don't, definitely sign up for one just to see what people are doing with some of these ads. Some really unique and cool opportunities. So just wanted to throw that out there. It's been around for a while, but I don't think enough people know about it. <laughs> so the last thing that we're going to talk about before we head into Google Corner, PPC predictions for 2015. This was actually submitted by Wesley, so we did want to give him a shout out. There's actually quite a few posts out there that are starting to surface. It's that time of year. Predictions for 2015. Who can we see in writing and laugh at later in the year because they were oh, oh so wrong. But this article had, I want to say, 15 different people that actually gave predictions. We got a wide swath of opinions in this, but it's all related to PPC and how some of these are going to play a major role in 2015. I'm not going to read all of them because some of them... <sighs> Are a little embarrassing or not very well thought out. <laughs> well, or we should call people out. We already knew that. Themselves. But some beg some bigger questions and, you know, might be interesting to see how they play out. The first couple that we're going to skip is talking about how big mobile is. Yes, we know. We talk, maybe they don't listen to the beard marketers and don't know that we talk about this all the time, but mobile, yes, is big. I think one of the things that will change for 2015, which someone did bring up in the article, is I'm actually shocked to see how many companies still don't run 
mobile optimized sites, but are running mobile ads. And I would imagine that in 2015, we'll probably see a little more effort driven there. I mean, on most of our partners, mobile is starting to constitute 50% of traffic, if not uh, a little bit more. And you cannot keep crutching on that my desktop site is enough in the way that it's laid out or even messaging or things like that. So I think that we will see some more developments as we're running PPC, some better mobile optimized sites or landing pages in general. A couple people in this article do mention that they hypothesize Google might be moving away from targeting keywords and more targeting personas or search intent. I do not see this happening in the short term or really even the long term. That would be a very hard migration. Google is obviously very good at understanding that. I mean, many times, maybe late at night after I've had a few drinks, I'm Googling things and it is damn good at knowing what I'm actually trying to search for. Uh, but I think that from a marketer standpoint and how we're having to track things and how we have campaigns laid out to move away from a sort of keyword setup into more personas or search intent, that's gonna be difficult, something they're gonna have to flesh out. I don't see them moving towards that, but interesting to talk about. So backing up here, when we're talking about PPC, that I said that very weird. <laughs> when we're talking about PPC, are we talking about paid search? I mean, because that's what I think we're talking about. But some of these, as I'm going through this list, don't seem to maybe apply. Right. Like, they didn't read the instructions. Right. Like if I'm doing a search. These are people are going to call out here in a second. I, I kind of want ads related to what I search for, right. not necessarily who I am as a person. Right. Exactly. And what I've done in the past. <laughs> don't well, remind me. On that front, you know, some of the ones that we're talking about, the collapse of native advertisement, which does not really relate to PPC in the way that they right. actually mean. But they do bring up an interesting point, which we've talked about here on the podcast actually quite a bit, which is there's going to come a day of reckoning where at least in the US, and, and I would imagine in the EU as well, where regulations are going to have to step in with this very ambiguous and oftentimes undisclosed relationship that content providers have with editorial content and actually pushing advertisement. Mm -hmm. And I think that native ads are either going to collapse on a whole, depending on what those regulations are, or is going to have to go through a complete revamp. And people that rely on those type of methods are going to seriously have to reconsider their strategies because it, the way that it's gone now, it cannot continue and there not be some sort of adjustment in yeah. there with how shady a lot of those tactics are. Well, unfortunately, a lot of the major publishers, online publishers have had to rely on them sure. as a way to make, make cash because to they survive. can't right now, right? right? Native advertising is one of those things that I, I think a lot of the lower level marketers out there aren't really aware it's, it's a thing, mm -hmm. especially Yahoo, which this guy mentions in here, seriously absurd amounts of traffic. Oh, yes. I mean, you have to, it's expensive. You don't just buy it one-off click style thing. But mm -hmm. wow, the amount of traffic you can get specifically from Yahoo for certain keywords and things like that. It's insane. Anyway, that's all I had to add. Well, two other things that I'd like to mention and ones that tie into some other conversations that we had is Elizabeth Marston in this article talked about saying goodbye to PPC strategists. And this is something that we've talked about here. I mean, I think that there will still always be room for subject matter experts in this space. That's not going to go away. But her larger point is online marketing has gone to the point where you cannot really silo yourself anymore. You cannot just be a PPC strategist because all of these things tie in with email strategies, how analytics work, how you might need to remarket onto other channels. All these types of things now are becoming mashed together. I mean, just look at some of the stuff that you were talking about with Twitter now working mm -hmm. with applications and things like that. And her point is no longer can you really be 
shoehorned into just PPC and SEM, you now have to sort of become this digital marketer because you need to have these sort of broad skill sets because you cannot just solely focus on PPC because there's so much going on that have these interplay with one another that the skill set you need to have needs to reach out into other channels and have this at least general based knowledge to where you're not necessarily causing harm to those, but also that you're using your skills to the best benefit, knowing what is actually possible out there. Yeah, I agree with your interpretation of that. I think her premise of there will no longer be a PPC strategist, it almost in my mind goes the opposite direction. I think, yes, every internet marketer needs to have a good overall Mm -hmm. understanding of internet marketing and all the disciplines. But I mean, hell, just look at AdWords. I mean, how many new features do we talk about every week? I mean, you have to be on that shit all the time. I came from that world. I still use it every day. I don't know about half the damn features in there or at least how to use them properly or what the latest strategies are. You can't afford to not have specialized people on your team because other people have, your competitors have specialized people who are going to smoke you and AdWords because you don't know about the latest PLA format. You don't know about the new site links format. You don't know about these new options for remarketing that are Mm -hmm. available and things like that. Well, that actually ties into the last thing that, that I wanted to mention is, you know, another drive in the industry is also automation to sort of help solve that issue. Machines can keep up with that. Mm -hmm. You know, machines can optimize the strategy. You'll still need the strategists and the people that are solid marketing professionals to come up with that messaging. But it'll be interesting to see where tools and automation go in 2015, because you're right. I mean, not only you're just talking about AdWords. Mm -hmm. I mean, Twitter ads changes all the time. Facebook ads change all the time. All these types of things are juggling and jostling for different features outpacing one another. And it's getting to the point where we have sophisticated enough algorithms, computers, cloud-based decision-making that can happen, that some of that might be offloaded on humans. And what you do on a day-to-day basis as a PPC strategist or digital marketer might be vastly different in a year because a lot of that is offloaded. At least the metrics diving and those automatic tweaking and optimization might be handled by someone that's actually not a human anymore. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes in 2015. I mean, you, to that point, you could almost argue, I mean, Google's doing a lot of that already, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, I mentioned site links there or including the domain in the title, depending on right. the format. I mean, Google does a lot of sort of liberal optimization mm-hmm. of your ads. Yes, you have general control sure. over what is being said in the description and things like that. But Google will throw things around, change the colors, change the format of your ads to try to get more clicks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's an example of, of that type of stuff. There may be some sort of generic format of ads you put in there and these, you know, networks go out and try to find the best way to jam your ads into who and in right. what format. Interesting. And so, I mean, as a, as a marketer, I think that means for you, you need to start doing some research, how those systems work, but how can you prep your company to maybe make use of those? A lot of these automated systems do take some work. It's not just plug and play. Hey, I want to do this, turn a button on. You might have to build out a feed of what your ads will look like or how you're sending information to them. So do your research, who's out there, who's doing things well, but what are some adjustments your business might need to take just to be able to interface with some of these and take the benefits. That's enough on that. Let's move on to Google Corner. We're running short on time. I'm sure all of you are busy doing your holiday shopping. So let's wrap this up. Google Corner, a couple things for this week from our favorite search engine. If things of a technical nature interest you, article that Moz put out this week, very fascinating on some work that Google's done to do a, essentially a new protocol on the web to make it even faster. And so it's really technical, but it's actually very fascinating on the impacts of SEO. Talked about many times on the podcast that speed of delivery is now a stronger and stronger SEO signal to not just Google, but also Bing and Yahoo 
are starting to take it into account now. And they talk about the adoption of what is called HTTP2 and Google's work in that space to essentially optimize the way that devices interact with servers and requesting content and how that works. But they also describe what as you as a company need to do to adopt this technology and how most now modern browsers have this baked in. So adoption is actually fairly straightforward at this point. Very interesting read and it does actually have some impact in SEO and how your site might be ranked based on how fast you're able to service content. Again, we'll tweet out the link, but it's check it out on Moz. It's called HTTP2, a fast, secure bedrock for the future of SEO. Great article. Lastly, if you work in the AdWords space, there are some more changes in how reporting works, allowing even more segmentation into your data by more reporting columns. Definitely take a look. There's a great search engine land article about it, giving you more transparency in what's happening, but allowing you to dive deeper into some of the ad reporting and thus being able to optimize where you might want to serve ads and is working well, but also what you might want to turn off. I will say AdWords for all the granular reporting that they give you don't necessarily give the same granular controls on ads and how you might serve them, but you can certainly tweak your priorities and how much you're bidding on certain devices or things of that nature, depending on performance. But AdWords, it's a great new reporting rollout. It will really help you if you work out in the space, especially if you're a data junkie like Rob and I. That's going to do it for us on this episode. Lots of stuff this week. Thank you so much for your time. If you enjoyed yourself, we'd ask a couple things. One, that you'd share with a friend, a colleague, or as Rob likes to say, a lover. A lover. (laughs) Also, if you could provide a review on whatever channel you found us on, that would greatly be appreciated. Helps us grow the show, but also know where we stand and maybe some things to change. If you have an idea for the show, maybe you sit there every week and think, hmm, your guys are pretty smart. They didn't think about this. Or maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe the boss is yelling at you. You can drop us a line at either thebeardmarketers.com slash contact. You can tweet us at thebeardmarketers, or you can also call us at our 24-7 crises hotline, 904-270-9603, or you can text us there. Rob waits by the phone day and night, but we'd love to hear from people, especially like Wesley, who submitted the PPC predictions article this week. And usually submissions are heard on the next episode. We love hearing from our listeners, but thank you again so much for your time, and we'll see you next week. Cheers.